Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. No matter where you are in the world, I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Whose World Is This with Junior Renee Bobrun. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you're a first-time listener, I'd like to welcome you to this ongoing conversation that's been going on now for over two years, I think. This Well, two years this February, I think, right? Yeah, we're in February, and um, this month marks our two-year anniversary. I didn't do anything for our one-year anniversary. I didn't do anything for our 100th episode, I guess because I just kept rolling. Uh, but I do want to do something this year. We're going we're gonna to do something. I don't know what it is. Maybe, I don't know, maybe have a call-in show or, or something along those lines. I don't know. But anyway, for those of you who have been with me on this journey, uh, welcome back. And thank you again for giving me your divided attention. A um, couple of little things I want to get out of the way. Our cash app is dollar sign J-U-N-B-E-A-U. So if you want to donate to the show and you like the things that we do here at Whose World Is This with Junior Renee Brun, please feel free to donate. The monies go to this show and it goes to this platform and it goes to expand this platform. So the cash app is dollar sign J-U-N-B-E-A-U. The Venmo is J-U-N-B-E-A-U, Junbo. The Zell is my first name and last name at Gmail, which is Junyabobrun at gmail.com, spelled J-U-N-Y-A-B-E-A-U-B-R-U-N, at Gmail. So, um, oh, if you want to email me, please feel free. Whose world is this? 2-1 at gmail.com. That's whose world is this? The number two and the number one at Gmail. Our Instagram is whose world is this? 2021. Whose world is this? 2021. And our Twitter is whose world is this with Junior and Abel Brun. It's the full title of the show if you want to reach us on Twitter. So thank you guys. It's a wonderful day. I'm out here in the South Southwest. The weather is unpredictable. Weather out here is is interesting one day it's 27 degrees and then the forecast says get ready for a balmy 67 in two days it's crazy so i have stayed fortified my vitamins my minerals my lemon water my ginger water my elderberry my various vitamins the juices that i make and drink and everything um it's been a very interesting experience over the last month or so i have been expanding this platform, meeting with people, having conversations about where I want all of this to actually go, where are we headed? And I realized the more I talk about this platform and the things I want to do out loud, the bigger they seem. And I'm saying to myself, whoa, is that actually what I want to do? Is that actually what we're doing? And I realized, yeah, um, you have to say it out loud to yourself first. Say it to yourself first out loud and then say it in front of someone else, someone else of, cre of, of credibility and see, does it even make sense? Does it sound absurd or not? And it doesn't sound absurd. It's lofty. It is. It could be considered to some grandiose. But it's possible and it's possible for me to do so. I have to wear many, many hats in the next coming months. And to wear every one of those hats means that my time has to be used efficiently. The one commodity, the one thing that we can't get back, 
the one thing that we waste the most of, but yet there's, it's an impossibility to replenish is our time. And it's amazing how much time we waste as human beings. It's, ama it's amazing how much time that I've wasted. My mom used to speak about that all the time. June, you can't waste time, 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 time. And I remember thinking to myself, what is she talking about? Loosen up, lighten up. There's plenty of time. I could do this or not. I can change my mind. I can do this or if I don't want to do it, I'll pivot, I'll turn, I'll make a U-turn. There's all kinds of things. Time, yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to dismiss her. I really did. Not to her face, but in my mind. I would go, okay, mom. I would say to her, okay, mom. But I would placate. And I'd be dismissive of, of the importance of time. Now more than ever, I realize if I'm going to do all these things that I say I want to do, guess what? Got to wake up at a way earlier time than I wake up. I have to possibly be up before the sun is up. How audacious of me to think that I should rise before the sun. But yes, I'm going to have to rise before sunrise. And I'm going to have to complete these assignments well after the sun has set, I will still be working on these things because it's, it's the same as being late. If you're late, you don't, you don't travel at the same speed. You have to literally make up time. So if I know I have, if, I, if I'm supposed to be at some place at 8 a.m. and it takes me 30 minutes to get there and it's 7.40 a.m. and I haven't left my home yet, and I'm at a 10-minute deficit, guess what I'm going to try to do? Speed up. But to make sure and to ensure that I don't end up late ever again, I'm going to have to wake up earlier and prepare earlier. I may have to prepare the night before for the upcoming day. And I have to ensure that I start to uh, live by the philosophy of don't put off till tomorrow what one can do today. Lots going on. And I want to talk about time for a moment because I didn't get to do this episode uh, earlier because I was traveling. But I want to talk about someone who's made the best use of their time that I've ever seen um, in the public eye. And I'd like to give out a special congratulations to this particular person. I don't know this person personally, um, but I would like to, for the record, give a an absolute congratulations, salutation, and a moment for LeBron James Sr. LeBron James Sr., who started playing basketball in the year 2003, and in the year 2023 has now broken the all-time leading score record in the NBA. He is now the NBA's all-time leading scorer. A man of at the age of 38 who came into this league at 18 years of age. A high schooler, straight out of high school. The reason why I bring him up when I'm in the matter of time, speaking about time, one has to think about that for a moment. That the man, a man who, who was a kid, 18 years old, 18 years old, comes out of high school, gets into the NBA with the loftiest of expectations, and 20 years later has not only met those lofty expectations, has exceeded them. The most celebrated high school player in the history of professional sports. 
the most celebrated player has now broken the most celebrated record. The most celebrated player coming out of high school, but not truly celebrated in his career the way I think he should. So that's why I'm going to take it upon myself and give that man his proverbial flowers while he's still alive, as they like to say, while he's still working. I witnessed from the beginning that this was going to be a great, if not the best player. And I was a fan and adherent to the religion of Michael Jordanism as everyone else was. But I also was open to the fact that all records can be broken and all players and, and games and things do evolve. And I am readily embraced that there could be a predecessor or a better version of an MJ, possibly in my lifetime. When I saw MJ, I knew he was the greatest I had ever seen. I didn't think he would be the greatest I would ever see. And I knew that as a kid, I knew, oh, this is the greatest I've ever seen. Does that mean he's the greatest ever, period, that will ever be? No, I didn't think that. I saw Shaq capture my imagination in the same era that MJ was dominating. I never seen anything like Shaq. Seven feet, one, 360 pounds, going, grabbing a rebound, running full speed with the basketball, spinning, crossing over and dunking and then breaking the backboard. The greatest combination of size and speed and athleticism that sports has ever seen has been Shaquille O'Neal. Period. There's like Shaq, there's Ali. When we, take, when we speak about size, speed, and athleticism, there's like Shaq and Ali. And then you can put like a LeBron in that conversation. This is an important conversation. Time. Because he just broke a record in 2023 that makes him the, the highest score in NBA history. 38,400 points at 38 years old. Are we listening? A record that stood for 38 years and he broke it on the 38th day of this year. Is that not providence? Are we speaking about time? That's how important time is. Do I need to repeat that? The record, he was born December 30th, 1984. The same year that record was set by Kareem. In April of 1984, Kareem set that record. The, Kareem set that record. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, call him by his proper name. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, center for the Los Angeles Lakers, previously with the Milwaukee Bucks, broke that record before LeBron James was born. He was still gestating. He was in his mama, Gloria James's belly, when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar became the all-time NBA leading scorer, one of the most hallowed, the most celebrated, and some thought the most unbreakable record that exists in sports. As far as individual accomplishments. LeBron James was in his mother's belly. Gloria James, a 16-year-old single mother, was pregnant with LeBron James Sr. when this record was broken in 9th, April 1984. And December 30th of that year, the record breaker was born. 
So that means that when Kareem broke that record, his replacement hadn't been born yet, but was soon to be born. How amazing is that? There was none of his contemporaries were even close to breaking that record. And no one that was alive in April of 1984 was going to break that record. No one who was an active player, no one who was in college playing, no one who was in high school playing, no one who was in elementary, middle school or elementary school was playing basketball was going to beat that record. That's how unattainable and unbreakable that record was. I have to give it its context because I'm realizing something. I've watched LeBron James's entire career, including his last year of high school, was when I found out about him. I would hear about him, but then I actually watched his game as a senior, and I saw him, and I was like, oh my God, what is that? I literally didn't say, who is that? I said, what is that? Because I knew, just like what I saw with Michael, I said I'd never seen anything like that before. That's what I said. I never seen nothing like it before. Best I've ever seen. When I saw LeBron in high school, I asked, what is that? Because it's how I felt about when I saw Shaq at LSU. I saw him play college ball at LSU, and I said, what is that? I'm watching it on TV. I'm in New York, and I'm going, what is that? I don't know what that is. I've never seen anything like it. That's how I felt about LeBron when I saw him play basketball in 2002 as a high school senior before he was drafted. So I'm going to give, and what's been curious to me is he hasn't been celebrated the way we celebrated MJ. He hasn't been celebrated the way we celebrated Kobe or celebrated Larry or Magic, Larry Bird or Magic Johnson. He hasn't been celebrated. He's been popular. He's been spoken about, but not with the same reverence. There's this been this reluctance to actually give him the crown or the flowers that he deserves. But it's important that context is utilized. A record was broken in a year that he wasn't even born yet. And no one who was alive at the time of that record being broken was going to break it. Do we get that, people? Michael Jordan was playing basketball in the NBA when that record was broken. Am I wrong? Michael Jordan came into the league in 84, 85, right? If I recall. Magic Johnson was already in the NBA, right? Larry Bird was in the NBA, right? All these greats were already in the league and other greats were coming along in the draft, in college, watching that. None of them. So in April 8, 1984, the record is broken. December 30th, 1984, the record breaker was born to a 16-year-old. And 20 years later, that little boy became a man with two boys of his own and a daughter, a husband, a philanthropist, and he is the greatest scorer in NBA history. Someone who said, someone who people said wasn't clutch enough couldn't score, didn't take the big shot, but he's has he has more points in the finals and in, 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 in playoff history, has more buzzer beaters in the playoffs than anybody ever. Okay, or is number two. So what are we talking about? This is this is this is a clear example 
of the greatest 20 years in professional sports history. One can actually say, okay, Tom Brady, but individually, a 15-man roster, whether he was playing for Mike Brown or David Blatt or Ty Lue or Eric Spolstra or, 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 or Frank Vogel, rings, championships regardless of franchise, championship expectations regardless of ownership, regardless of the ineptitude of ownership or management or coaching or players goes to the NBA Finals as a Cleveland Cavalier where he was the lone all-star on that team. No Hall of Fame coaching to start his career. No Hall of Fame players on the bench, grizzled veterans, telling him this is how you move, this is how you become a professional, etc., etc. Becoming a culture warrior from the beginning. Cleveland Cavaliers were an irrelevant franchise. No one ever put them in a conversation for NBA Finals. They were in the East when Larry Bird was destroying the East and the Detroit Pistons were destroying the East and then the Chicago Bulls and the Knicks were destroying the East. No one gave a crap about the Cleveland Cavaliers. The dirty little secret in sports ownership is even when you lose, you win because people are are going to come to see their team play. They're going to watch you on television. So a lot of owners aren't great owners when it comes to winning. They're great at just collecting money from fans that are hoping that one day their team will be relevant. Donald Sterling knew that dirty little secret as the L.A. Clippers owner. He was a slumlord. He was someone who had shoddy housing and the Department of Justice brought him up on charges for having shoddy housing developments in the greater Los Angeles area. And guess what? That's how we ran the Los Angeles Clippers. I can make money even if we don't win. People will still see us. That's the dirty little secret in sports. That's why after 20 years of basketball, LeBron James as an individual himself has gone to more finals than 29 of the 30 NBA teams that exist. He's gone to more NBA championships than 29 teams in their whole history. Teams that were around even before his mother was born. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Teams that were around even before his, maybe when his grandmother was born. Sacramento Kings don't know a finals. Huh? Charlotte Bobcats haven't been to a finals. The Indiana Pacers maybe have gone to one or two in their in their history. How many teams have yet to smell a finals, let alone win one? So there are 29 teams in the NBA that have not been more successful than LeBron. Not a team that he's played for, him himself going from team to team and making sure that he's assembling the kind of roster that he can win. A lot of people are threatened by that. So a friend of mine asked me the other day, he's a LeBron fan, not as big an advocate or supporter as I am, but big enough to say that, yo, he's the greatest of this, at least saying of this generation. And I go, okay, hmm, interesting, but that's fine. He goes, yo, why do they hate him so much? I mean, the guy just, he's got a nice family, just, 
you know, you don't have to agree with all of his political stances, but he seems to be very conscientious kind of dude. Doesn't try to offend anybody out there and just trying to just goes out there and plays boys. I love the way he plays ball. And my, my and this friend of mine has a son and the son is about seven. And the son's two favorite players are LeBron James and Steph Curry. He loves those two guys. And my friend is a big basketball fan and he tells his son, you want to play the game like LeBron James and Steph Curry. That's who you want to play the game like. You want to be able to be a great teammate, but also have great talent and also be able to understand what the game needs from you and what the game needs from everybody else around you because his son is pretty gifted as a player. And his son, I speak to his son on the phone and goes, who's your favorite player? He goes, LeBron and Curry. I go, which one's the best? He goes, I think LeBron's still the best. I go, good job, good job. Pat him on the head. A proverbial Zoom digital pat on the head. But this is important. Because you have a father, a conscientious father, a moral, sound, prudent human being who's telling his new son, his adolescent son, you should be like LeBron on and off the court. That's how you play and that's how you conduct yourself. That's important. This is how you conduct yourself. And he asked me, why do, why do people hate him so much? I said, because we've turned Michael Jordan into a religion. It's turned into Jordanism. We've become Jordanians, where all of a sudden the buck stopped with him. Even though the game that preceded him had decades and decades of great players that were superseded or usurped by greater players, and the game evolved. But somehow, someway, we used MJ as the only metric to 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 um, measure whether you're the greatest or not. Bill Russell has more rings, but people crowned MJ the greatest ever only after three. But if it was a ring competition, it would be Bill Russell, or it would be Magic Johnson, who at that time had more rings than Michael, or it would be Larry Bird, who I think had four or five rings, who had more rings at that time. You understand? But MJ after his third ring, his three peat is third ring in a row and his third NBA finals MVP people said up oh, we can close the books now on the conversation and debates he's better than Larry who has more rings better than Magic who has more rings better than Bill Russell who has more rings and he's even better than Isaiah Thomas who has two rings and who's beat who has the dubious distinction of having beating Larry in the playoffs Michael in the playoffs and Magic Johnson in the playoffs so Michael is the man. Fine, fine. But all of a sudden, no one's going to usurp him. Kobe comes along and he becomes some, somewhat of a copy or a copied archetype of Michael. Not, not exactly Michael 2.0. And it was like, oh, this is the best we've seen since Michael. Then LeBron comes along and says, oh, I can score just as many points as those guys, but I can also assist and rebound better than they can. I can also be a power point guard forward and play the most positionless basketball that we've seen in, a, in, in more than 30, 40 years of basketball. And no one embraced it the same way. And I said to people, I said to my friend, when what you do breaks with conventional wisdom and you're the first one through the door, get ready to get bloody. Get ready to be bloodied if you're the first one through the door to be that, that kind of player that you are or, or you're doing a certain kind of thing. It's like, it's like that old saying that um, explorers get slaughtered and settlers prosper. 
because before MJ or around the MJ era, you had to score. Oh, now you're the archetype scorer. You're either a big man who can score the ball or you're this scoring two guard and that's all you do. Or you're a point guard who doesn't score that many points, sort of like a Jason Kidd, but yet you can get triple doubles and you're getting everybody involved. But no one was a hybrid of all of them put together until LeBron, who became a magic passer, a Michael scorer because he can score at the same clip 50 plus percent from the field, which makes you to be able to score 25 to 30 points with 50% from the field makes you absolutely un, unguardable. And to do it, even though you're the lone all-star or lone great player on your team with five other defenders honing in on you because really no one else on your team is that much of a threat and still you're able to, to dominate and score at that clip even though everyone knows that the ball starts with you. It's unprecedented. I said that conventional wisdom was broken because he became a hybrid. And then on top of that, he made a lot of general managers and owners look very bad. Because when he started hopping from team to team and saying, this is what I need, this is what I need, this is what I need, and then he would go to an NBA championship. And it's like the great Damian Lillard once said when, he was when, when LeBron James was receiving criticism for having a losing record in the finals. He has four rings, but he's gone to the finals 10 times. So that means he's four of six in the finals. And when people try to make the comparison between him and MJ, they go, oh, well, MJ is 6-0 and in the finals and LeBron is 4-6. and So he, that debate is over. Even though, like I said, the conversation was never about rings per se. You had to have rings to be in the conversation. But how many? Maybe more than one. But MJ got his GOAT crown after his third ring, even though he was eight behind Bill Russell and two behind Magic. But somehow he was crowned. So did LeBron per se need to have six, seven, eight rings to be better than MJ? No, he didn't. If MJ didn't need 11 rings to be better than Bill Russell or five rings to be better than Magic, then why does LeBron James need six rings to be better than MJ? And Damian Lillard said it best. He said, all this talk about LeBron's record in the finals, most of us are O for O, meaning most of us will never even get to a finals, let alone win one or two or three or four and be named the MVP of each one of them. It's very important. Most of them are going to go O for O, talking about this dude being four and six. And I said to my friend, I said, listen, man, conventional wisdom, man. He's the first one through the door being this hybrid player. Not only that, He's making a lot of general managers look bad. He's making a lot of media pundits who think they know what their team needs or team doesn't need and, and, and sit around acting as if they're analysts and experts. And there's a lot of general managers getting paid hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars a year. A lot of owners and a lot of coaches he made look bad by being able to win and dominate the way he did. I'm going to the finals in Cleveland. Then I'll go to Miami. I'll go to four straight finals. I'll win two in a row. Then I'll go back to Cleveland. I'll beat the greatest regular season team ever, the Golden State Warriors, who had a 73-9 and season. I'll beat them in a seventh game on their home floor. Then I'll, go, then I'll go to Los Angeles, 
who hadn't won a, a ring in six, seven years, who hadn't been to a playoff game in six years. And guess what? I'm going to win one there too. While the ownership is battling over fa family sibling rivalries, you know, wrenching ownership from each other, the bus family. Then you have this sort of hybridized general manager situation over there uh, for a while, this brain trust where the coaches aren't empowered because the ownership is choosing not just the coach, but the coaches coaching staff, which is something you do to maybe a rookie coach, but they do that to a lot of their coaches. Yeah, you get to be the head coach, but we get to pick your staff so we have a voice in the locker room. Meanwhile, what did that get them over six years? No playoff appearances. And that was with the great Kobe Bryant. Didn't, not making the playoffs. So what are we saying? He comes in and in two years, they win a ring. He says, move this around, move that around. We're going to do this. Okay, yeah. Move these pieces out. Get this piece in. Yeah, great, awesome. Ring time. And he gets one. Four rings. Several different coaches who never won anything before him. Spolstra was not the coach of the Heat when the Miami Heat won that first ring with Dwayne Wade. And they were four years removed from being actually relevant in the NBA. They were getting knocked out in the first round or second round. They weren't in the conversation. They were just known as the scrappy Heat when LeBron decided to go to Miami and face the criticism of him joining Dwayne Wade. And it's Wade County. And you're joining. You're cheating. That team didn't do anything the year before LeBron got there. They weren't relevant. Pat Riley was thinking of shaking it up. Wade said, make moves or I move. That was the conversation. LeBron gets there. They go to four straight finals. They win two. Then he leaves. Miami's in the doldrums after he leaves. And he goes back to Cleveland. And a city, a state, a city that hadn't won a championship in 50 years. None of their professional franchises had won in 50 years, and he brings an NBA championship to Cleveland, to the rust belt, as they call it. Then he leaves and does it again with the Lakers. With a coach who'd never been to a finals, with players who'd never been to a finals, Anthony Davis, Kyle Kuzma. Really? Think about what we're talking about here. And I don't see him being celebrated. I said, yeah, 29 teams have to look at this man dominate and go, Jesus, what are we doing wrong? 29 teams have to stare themselves in the face every season that they're not in the finals and not winning the last game of the season and see LeBron's name up there. It makes them look bad. He makes every GM, every, every GM that's not his GM, every coach that's not his coach, and every owner that's not his owner, Look bad. And even the ones that are his GM and owner. LeBron gets the lion's share of the credit when they win. And he gets the lion's share of the blame when they lose. Okay? So all these owners and GMs are sitting around going, well, they're giving him all the credit. Yeah, because he didn't do anything before he got here. The smartest thing you did was, was, was sign him. And that was sort of a no-brainer. Because my friend's 10-year-old would sign LeBron James. So that means you're as smart as a 10-year-old. Good luck. So how much, how much credit do I need to give you for a decision that a 10-year-old would make? And you're getting paid a couple of million a year to make these decisions. Yeah, I think we should sign LeBron. Yeah, you think? 
Yeah, I think so too. I think we should do what he says for the time that he's playing. Doesn't matter who gets the credit as long as we get the parade. Who cares who gets the credit? We get the parade. We're champions. Etched in stone forever. Forget about narratives. We get to win. He's not going to play forever, but these rings will last forever. So if we have to, quote unquote, hand over the franchise to him and his cohorts for two, three, four seasons and, and make us relevant, we get TV rights. We get the fans to stack the seats. We get to be the talk of and the toast of the, of the association of, of the sports world albeit for a short period of time, but we'll go down in history. In the pantheons of history, we will be remembered and we will not be obscure and we will not be anonymous and we will not be futile. For one period of time, we will be synonymous with excellence and that's what being a champion is. You were the best that year. But egos abound seeing this kid born of a single mama, a teenage single mama, no father in the picture, raise himself up, decide to bring his friends along, doesn't go to the usual thieves and agents and business and market money managers. There's a reason why a lot of NBA players are broke um, 10 years, or a lot of professional athletes are broke 10 years after their last actual contract. And it's not only because they don't come from money or they come from a poverty standpoint or they were, they, they were a river onto their people and spent too much. A lot of these quote-unquote advisors ripped them off. Tim Duncan had an advisor that took millions from him. Kevin Garnett, a whole host of players had all of these advisors that all of a sudden came to their lives that the, that the NBA and the NFL and the MLB encouraged them to go with and robbed them blind. LeBron broke with conventional wisdom when everyone told him to get this agent and that agent. He said, no, I'm going to have my friends from high school do it. And everyone said, oh, my gosh, he's making the first mistake. He's making a rookie mistake. This 18-year-old kid is just going to be, he's going to be another footnote. He's going to be another a catchphrase of what went wrong with this NBA player's career. And at that moment, I noticed a lot of... Uh, the, the conversation around him changed the same way the conversation around Floyd Mayweather changed when he disbanded from Bob Arum, who was a manager in boxing, who was institutionalized. He was an institution. Bob Arum's fights fed a lot of people. So Floyd Mayweather being one of the biggest boxers of that generation, deciding to leave and take matters into his own hands he went from pretty boy Floyd to Floyd Money Mayweather, and then the vitriol be began in the media. I thought about it when he did it. I was like, good for you, dude. Take your own stuff in your own hands because I, I'm, I'm pro-independence. I'm pro-entrepreneur. I'm pro-doing it on your own even though it's going to be harder and people are going to somehow, some way, be upset at you for breaking away from a system that they haven't broken away from. So there's a little bit of subconscious envy going on. You're going your own way, and I don't have the bravery or the courage to do it on my own, to do what you did, to emulate you. So I noticed when LeBron started, once he decided to have his friends, Maverick and the rest of them, sort of look over his affairs, the vitriol came. They were like, oh, he has his quote-unquote crew or his posse looking after his money. A lot of coded language. We won't get into that. <laughs> and I said, ah, I knew what it was. I was like, ah. And I noticed the golden child image 
the chosen one, which is what they called him on the cover of Sports Illustrated at 17 years old or 16, 17 years old. All of a sudden it was like, ah, yeah, he's making some mistakes. And before you knew it, you realize he was playing a mistake-free brand of basketball on the court and off the court. He created a center of power where his friends were protecting him and were expanding his business enterprises and they were putting pressure on management and ownership to put him in a position to win and be relevant and compete. And the league didn't like that because owners, to be an owner, means that you have employees. That means you are the boss. Owners don't like to be bossed around. And now you have this player and his friends saying, this is a new, this is a new day. It's a new game. Um, I play the game differently on the court. I'm a hybrid on the court. I'm a mixture of Michael Magic and Bird. I'm all of them. So no need to compare me to any one of them. Because I can do what they do. Can they do what I do? That's the question. And then off the court, I'm also a hybrid of them. I'm going to be a pitch man, a corporate brand. But I'm also going to own a lot of this stuff. And I'm also going to go to ownership and put pressure on them to make sure that we're relevant. So now owners who were accustomed to being slumlords of their teams, we're not winning, we're not relevant, you know, we're the little engine that could at the bottom of our division, but people still come to see us because we're the only game in town. But then all of a sudden, here comes this transcendent talent saying, now all of a sudden the spotlight is on ownership that aren't accustomed to being in the spotlight. They were used to the obscurity and the mediocrity and making millions of being obscure, millions of being obscure and mediocre. Now you have a player saying mediocrity and obscurity are not an option. We're going to be the talk of the town. They're going to love us or they're going to hate us, but we're going to win. And, and they're going to be expectations. So there's pressure. And he embraced all of that pressure. There's going to be pressure if you have me on your team. There's going to be pressure if I'm on your squad. And the pressure is for you to do not your job, for you to win. Because a lot of owners out there, guess what, ladies and gentlemen, not every owner out there wants to, not every sports team owner wants to win. Because winning costs money. <laughs> you got to spend money and to get the players in place to win. You have your general manager has to be on the phone longer than he usually wants to be as opposed to just getting the rookie or opposed to getting the has been player for cheap or the rookie for cheap. Oh no, we might have to sign two players to max contracts. We have to fill out our roster with quality players. And now the television keeps talking about us. The newspapers keep talking about us. Talk radio keeps talking about us. My God, everybody knows me by my first name. Now everywhere I walk, I can't be that, that anonymous owner behind the scenes just collecting money for losing anymore. The general manager, everywhere he goes, it's like, hey, how come you didn't do such and such, man? We need to win this year. Oh, there's a buzz in the city. There's pressure. 
And so the pressure that came with this 18-year-old kid, all of a sudden, men that were twice his age and then some had to feel that pressure too. Now we have to win because we got this kid because this kid's demanding that we win. This kid's doing everything correct. So now we have to do right by him because he's doing right by us. And we're getting pressure from the media, pressure from the commissioner saying we can't have this golden child uh, 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 relegated to obscurity. What are you guys doing? Uh-oh. So ownership in Cleveland, ownership in Miami, ownership back in Cleveland when he went back, and ownership in L.A. had to do better. Had to be better. And I watched all of it. <clears throat> I lived in Florida at the time when he was uh, a Miami Heat, part of the Heatles. And I, did, I never saw anything like it. I never saw a player command that level of attention and deal with it with the level of sort of casual grace that he did. And I could see it, that it, I could see, and I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's no way I'd be able to handle the situation he was in the same way he did. I was like, I'm not built like that. This, this dude is just special. This dude is different. This dude is a once in a lifetime kind of individual where he took the league on his back and people said he's not clutch enough and he still played the way he wanted to play. He still believed in the philosophies instilled in him by his high school coaches. He said, this is how I'm going to play and I'm going to play this way and this way feels right. I don't care if people say I'm not clutch. I don't care if people say I, 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 don't, I can't hit the last shot or I'm afraid of the moment, that I'm afraid of this, that, and the third. Yeah, let them say what they want. And all he's done is take those criticisms and everything on his back and ride it into being the NBA's all-time leading scorer, and at the same time, being top four in assists. Now, let's look at that stat. Here's what's interesting about that when I say that he's Michael, Magic, and Bird all in one. Because if you look at the top 10 guys in scoring in NBA history, top 10 athletes in NBA's, uh, NBA players in scoring, they're usually at the bottom 100 of assists. Maybe their top 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 in assists if they're top 10 in scoring. And if they're top 10 in assists, they're usually at the bottom of scoring. Top 100 maybe in scoring. Top 60, 70. There's no one in the history of the game of basketball that is number one, that is top, that was top 10 in scoring and top 10 in assists, let alone number one in scoring, and top four in assists. So this man, talking about time, decides to go to the Los Angeles Lakers, which is a storied franchise. The Los Angeles Lakers, where Magic Johnson played for, where Wilt Chamberlain played for, where the great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar played for and broke records. The most hallowed and winningest franchise. Boston and LA are the most winningest franchises in NBA history. He joins this franchise and he passes Magic Johnson in assists to make himself top four. And then he passes Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to be the number one scorer while wearing a Los Angeles Laker uniform. And he does both in the same season. And I watched the sports world just shrug their collective shoulders. The fan base and the media. Somehow went, oh, but they might not make the playoffs. And eh, he's still not MJ. 
Wow. That's all you got. It was much mediocrity that we celebrate in this world. The mediocrity that we advocate for in this world. When you get a piece of excellence, do you not know how to embrace it? Do you not know how to recognize it and celebrate greatness slash excellence? Not perfection, because nothing and no one is perfect. Excellence, because I can get an A on a test and still get answers wrong. I can still get a couple of easy answers wrong. Okay? Straight A's doesn't mean you were perfect means you were excellent doesn't mean you were perfect you didn't mean you got a hundred 100 percent correct on every test you don't need to be perfect to be excellent lebron james is as excellent an athlete that we've ever seen in all three of the major sports as a matter of fact i'm gonna say all four because i add boxing nba nfl mlb and professional boxing. In all four of those sports, he is as excellent, he has become the bar. He is the metric. He is the standard on and off the court. You don't have to agree with all of his politics or his political stances. Doesn't matter. The mere fact that he's actually put some of his corporate brands at risk for taking some of the stances that he takes is enough for me. I don't have to agree with it. I don't. Don't necessarily have to agree with who he's aligned himself with politically sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish you didn't do that. You mean well. I think you mean well. But that person, uh, yeah, on the surface, you may think that they're on your side and they're your ally, but they're really not. So there are a couple of times where I felt, eh, I don't know. But guess what? Guess what? The mere fact that he took a stance, the mere fact that he didn't just remain some sort of banal, benign sort of corporate shill, just pitching products without actually letting his voice be heard about certain things that are occurring. And he lost a lot of fans for that. A lot of people won't buy his sneakers or won't watch his games because he said this about that. And he knew that going in that, yeah, certain people aren't going to like what I say, but I'm a grown man and I'm going to say what I need to say. Certain people want him to shut up and dribble. He refused. He refused to shut up and dribble. And it's interesting that while we've been gifted with an, with an example of excellence and how to actually utilize one's time to create excellent outcomes, this man spends an inordinate amount of time being a, an athlete, a family man, and a philanthropist, opening up schools that look like Ivy League universities for kids in his hometown. We're watching an excellent narrative occur right in front of our eyes. Remember, Nike has that sign and it says witness. And it was very apropos because we're witnessing something that we're quite possibly never gonna see again and we shrugged our shoulders. I, and I'm very happy that I didn't, that my brother didn't, but many, many in my family, many, many friends have. And it's a shame because I say, if you're not going to celebrate this guy, then who are you going to celebrate? If you're not going to revere how this man played the game of basketball, how he empowered players, how he has empowered himself to play a game the way he wanted to play it, how he used his athleticism. 
He could easily have been the leading scorer of the NBA maybe one or two or three years ago, but he was too busy handing out six, seven, eight, nine, ten assists to teammates. And for you to hand out eight, nine assists to teammates means that you passed more passes to them that they missed. Because if you have 10 assists, that doesn't necessarily mean you only threw the ball to your teammates 10 times and he scored all 10 times. No, there are plenty of times for you to get those 8, 9 assists. That means you probably passed the ball 15 times to them and they missed maybe 5. Or you passed it 20 times to them and they missed maybe 10 for you to get 10 assists. Guess what? When you're the lone all-star on your team for many years... That means you're passing the ball to some guys that mm, may not um, have the acumen to make that shot. But you as a basketball mind, you're saying analytically, that's the best shot because you're open. And if you're a teammate of mine and you're on the floor and this is a game of five on five, then guess what? I'm going to make sure that I'm utilizing that time and your time efficiently. That means you're going to get opportunities. So now I'm going to force you to get better. I'm not going to bail you out. You have to get better. You have to spend more time in the gym because you know I'm going to find you if you're open. Just like Lawrence said, ready or not, I'm going to find you. I'm going to find you. And on the basketball world was saying, oh, oh yeah, he, he, why is he passing it? He should have took that. And he's saying, no, my job is I'm a point scoring player. I score and I pass. He was open. He's supposed to score. I passed it to him. Now I'm open and I'm going to score. All I'm saying is I watched this man play basketball for 20 years as an 18-year-old. I knew who I was at 18. I was in no way mature enough to handle what this dude handled. I was in no way mature enough to be that kind of guy. He said he grew up without a father and he knows how that made him feel. So he wanted to start a family early and get married early and have kids so he can be a father to his kids and be a young dad with his boys. Where oftentimes many children from fatherless homes oftentimes end up being serial fathers where they'll have a child with this girl or a child with that one and may not have the tools to become an actual parent themselves it happens all the time you can have as many examples of you want of men being able to be fathers after uh not having a father in their life but guess what the Department of Juvenile Justice has said one of the number one precursors for juvenile delinquency and teen pregnancy is fatherless homes. Fatherless kids don't get married as, as often. And if they do have kids, they have kids out of wedlock and they create broken homes that resemble the broken home that they came from. Those are facts, people. He broke that conventional wisdom. His own family life is an example of him breaking that conventional wisdom. His basketball life and the way he played the game. Because a lot of people are giving him props for revolutionizing the game off the court with player empowerment. I think that's a cop-out. Because we're saying he's not as great a basketball player as he is a basketball ambassador for a new way of players empowering themselves and making moves and collaborating with ownership. No, that's wrong. 
You may not, the game may not be as aesthetically pretty as an MJ or aesthetically pretty as a Kobe or as aesthetically pretty as a Steph Curry. But creating the kind of player that has to be an all-around player and changing the dynamic of what a great player or a great scorer is. A great scorer now has to be a great passer. You have to be able to score the ball, rebound the ball, assist the ball, know the game more intrinsically, not just what it is that you do, not just being this specialist, specializing in score, or oh, I'm an assassin, I just score. No, you can't get away with that anymore and be in the pantheons. You can still have a job in the NBA being a 3 and D guy. You can play defense and hit the three-pointer. Okay, that's what you do. You're a 3 and D guy. But if you want to be mentioned with the all-timers, all-time, LeBron broke the mold. You got to be like that. Because he's like, the greats before me, I can do what they do. Can they do what I do? They can, I can score with them, but can they rebound with me? Can they pass with me? The record books say no. Because the, he's the only one in NBA history to be number one in scoring and number four in assists. Usually the number one scorer is number 80 in assists. Usually number one in assists is number 80 in scoring. So that means they couldn't do, my predecessors could not do what I did. Whether they chose to or not, whatever. Or it wasn't asked of them, whatever. I showed that I am different and I am a hybrid of all of these players that you say I'm not better than. Very, very important. That's why I'm dedicating this episode to that and time and how we utilize it. I watched this man play his whole career and I didn't think he was going to be the leading scorer. I didn't see that. I saw him possibly being number one in assists. Oh yeah, and he's the only small forward to be where he is in rebounding. Where he is on the left. I think he's top 30 in rebounding. And as a small forward, a person of his height and shorter, um, and playing his position of small forward and point guard, which is what he plays. He's a point guard. He has the ball at the top of the key. Usually people who get rebounds spend most of their life next to the basket. It's big seven-footers and, and 6'11 guys, power forwards and centers. But this guy is a small forward. He's the only guy to be, I think, top 30 in rebounds. It's insanity to see what he's done to the record books. And it's not just a legacy award because he's been around a long time because he's not averaging six points a game. In his 38th year, there's been no player in year 17, 18, 19, or 20 that has scored more points than this man. Per, 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 he's scoring 30, he's averaging 30 points a game, which is up there with the league high. That means he's top four or top five in scoring. So that means you're 38, you just broke the record, and you're not breaking it because you're on your last leg. A lot of these records, these longevity awards happen if you stay around long enough and you're only averaging five, six, seven, or ten points a game and you're not even close to the player you once was, then you break these records as the old, grizzled, veteran not as relevant anymore. You're not going to win a ring. You're just sort of going on a farewell tour, shaking hands and waving at the crowd. Not this guy. He still can be the best player on a contender. What? He still can be the best player on a championship team. Or at, le at the very least, the second best player on a championship roster. So 
I'm looking at the time. And I'm talking about time because of how I've utilized my time in the last couple of months has been, I've had times in my life where I've utilized time efficiently, where I used to schedule my naps because I had everything in a certain kind of order that needed to be done. And much was accomplished when I was on that regimen. And it's, and it's more difficult to be a time manager when you're an entrepreneur. You have to be even more of a taskmaster to yourself. And it's easy to, sh it's, it's very difficult to show up for yourself. It's easy to show up for a job or a class that starts at 8 a.m. But when you're, your, when you're your own boss and you're teaching your own classes of life and you're deciding to be self-taught on a particular subject and you're learning on your own, 8 a.m., eh, it's sort of flexible, isn't it? Unless you tell yourself that 8 a.m. is inflexible, is non-negotiable. You can negotiate with yourself. You can break those promises to yourself. Hey, who's going to know? You know who's going to know? Time's going to know. Because you just put off to, 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 to 10 o'clock what you could have done at 8 o'clock. You could have been on to something else at 10 o'clock, but now you're not. The average college class is about an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes. So think about that the next time you want to waste time and say, yeah, I can do that in an hour. No, you could be on to the next thing in an hour. You could finish with your class and be on to your study lab, on to your library, on to another assignment. I'm just using school as an example. You can be on to the next thing. So I'm looking at this man and how he utilized his time. A record that stood for 38 years. A record that stood and was, and was broken and the year he was born. This record was broken. Think about that. 38 years ago, before he was born, this record was broken. Then he was born to a mom in poverty and impoverished Akron, Ohio. What are we talking about here? A single mama. And then 38 years later, he breaks the 38,300 and whatever, 80-something, 80 87-point record on his 38th birthday, after his 38, a month, two months after his 38th birthday, or a month and some change after his 38th birthday, on the 38th day of the year. That's, that's providence, people. That's written. And he had to write it the whole way. It's something for each and every single last one of us to admire and look in our own way to emulate. Each and every last one of us should look at that as, a, as, a, as, a, as an example of inspiration. We should, we should look to emulate that. We should only have 20 years of illustriousness like that. So whatever you got going on right now, how can you turn the next 20 years and make them excellent? It's not going to be perfect, but how do you make sure it's excellent? Whatever it is you're doing now, I don't care how old you are. Are you 10? You're listening to this? Are you 10? What are you going to do to be excellent for the next 20 years? So by the time you turn 30, it's like, whoa, you've had a magnificent life and you're writing it. Every day you are dedicated to writing the most beautiful script of your life ever. If you're 30, you're 31, 32 years old. You have 20. What are you going to do with the next 20 years? Because you can design it. The last thing you want to do 
is look back on 20 years and realize that you were just shucking and jiving and messing around. You don't want 20 years to happen to you. You want to design the next 20. How do you design the next 20? You have to move with purpose. You have to treat every minute like it counts for something. Every, you have to treat it like you're preparing for that 48-minute game, that hour game that you're playing, that 60-minute that game that you're playing, right? 60 minutes, playing ball. Guess what? You have to dedicate your whole day, your whole week, your whole life to that 60 minutes that you're playing. So I'm saying in your life, what is the things you want to do? Like take this thing I'm doing now, this, 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 this platform. I have to dedicate more time and make every single minute count. I have to wake up at the same time. It's routine and discipline and, and, and having time be your governor, being a slave to one thing, time knowing that it is your ultimate master because you never know when your number is going to be called and it's over. That's why time is your master. And so at that moment, you have to learn how to master your time because you never know when it's over. You never know when your bell's going to ring and you want to live a life that you can look back on and say, I was disciplined as opposed to a life of regret due to lack of discipline. So it's time for each and every person out there to start dedicating themselves to something and going all in, putting the chips in the middle of the table and saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it to death. I'm going to do it every single day. I'm going to wake up and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be that. I'm going to work out. I'm going to learn those languages. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a better husband, a better, a better wife, a better spouse, a better partner, a better brother, a better father, a better, a better son a better employee, a better employer. All the things that you say you want to be, you have the time to be them. What it's going to mean, you may not have time to uh, uh, watch your favorite TV show. You may not have time to uh, 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 listen to talking heads on television. You may not have time just to sit around and yip-yap and chit-chat. If you're yip yat and chip chat, there's got to be while you're doing something that's worth your time, that's getting you closer to all of those goals and expectations that you've set out for yourself. Time is your master, so you have to master your time. This man, this is the greatest example because he's, oh, on, on top of that, he's a billionaire while playing. It's just been his net worth, all of his, whether it's his, his franchises that he co-owns, the endorsement deals that he has, and his NBA salaries cumulatively through the last 20 years. This kid from Akron, Ohio, born to a teenage mother who went from high school to the NBA is now the first NBA player to be a billionaire while playing to be a billionaire while playing i think mj became a billionaire when he became an owner of the charlotte bobcats and that's because the bobcats net worth with his net worth puts him up there this guy's still playing basketball time is your master so master your time this is the greatest 
20-year career in the history of all of sports. All things being considered, if we just looked at him as a basketball player, it would be enough. Forget about the player empowerment because that's a knock. I have to always address that when I hear a lot of the media pundits say, well, you know, I think LeBron's impact off of the court is going to be more is more that on the on the court. The man broke the, the, the most hallowed record in all of sports. Are you kidding me? How are you going to say that when he's broken the most hallowed record? NBA scoring. And he did it when everybody thought he was a pass first player. And then he did it while being top four in assists, which is which is an anomaly because no one who's top. Top in scoring is top in assists and vice versa. Top in assists is top scoring. So him being a one of one in how he's played the game is enough. Forget about the philanthropy. Forget about the the, the, the picturesque uh, uh, family. Forget about all of that. Just the court. Let's talk about balling. What he's created and what he's, what he's been able to do and accomplish is illustrious enough for us to go, Wow. If he said, I can't do anything else, I can't start a family, I can't have a baby, I can't have, be married, I can't have kids because I'm dedicated to this sport, blah, 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 I'll do all of that when I retire, it would still be like, wow, look at this guy. He's the greatest. But to do that while having kids, while flying to your kid's game on a Monday, but then get, flying back to your practice facility Monday night so you can be ready for a game Tuesday night. Yeah. Really? Okay. And and we're still and we're still shrugging our shoulders. I think we should stop shrugging. I really do. I think we should take a second and go, "Oh my gosh, did did I did have I been watching this with my eyes wide shut for the last 20 years? Trying to find reasons to nitpick and diminish is that what I've been doing while this guy has been being an example for me and 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 my my descendants to follow i have a little nephew i tell my nephew on the phone who's your favorite basketball player he doesn't really watch basketball right now he's still into cartoons and toys and stuff i go you listen man lebron james is the best basketball player of all time and he goes okay <laughs> he goes okay he does he's indifferent to it okay but his indifference it's because of his you know his youth and his naivete and his inexperience my problem is when people who know the game or say they know the game say that they're experts, say that they're fans, say that they're analysts, and still shrug their shoulders. I go, are you guys kidding me? I'm not some fanatic. I'm a supporter. I'm a fan of no one. You know who I'm a fan of? My family. I'm fanatical about the people in my family. If you're in the public eye and I've never met you, I'm not fanatical about you. I'm a, I can advocate for you. I can support you, but I'm not fanatical. LeBron, I'm a big supporter of. I'm an advocate for, but I'm not fanatical. Everything that I'm saying is based on facts, and I'm doing comps. It's not just me waving a, oh, yeah, he's the greatest of all time. No, 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 I'm, I'm giving comps as to why he's a one of one. Tangible, legitimate uh, 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 reasons that I can make a case for him being the guy and being the metric and the standard scandal-less, not scandalous. Every single one of these goats has had an issue, outside of Kareem, actually. 
But Kareem hasn't made himself that available to media, hasn't made himself that available. But Kareem is instrumental in a lot of different things. He's a pioneer, civil rights pioneer. He sat at the table with many, many athletes and said, no, listen, I'm a full I'm a full on man. You're not going to treat me like three fifths of a man. I'm here. I'm changing my name. I am no longer Lou Alcindor. I am Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And at the time, you know, uh, mainstream Islam was not something to be demonized or anything at the time. So people didn't know. But yet he's changing religions, changing his name on the back of his jersey. And then not soon after, you have Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X. Cassius Clay turns into Muhammad Ali. Hmm? Malcolm Little turns into Malcolm X. What do we changes were going on and Kareem was instrumental in that. Saying I can be I can be a full I can do what I want to do. He's a pioneer. I love Kareem. Despite some of the things Kareem may have said, you know, against other players that I feel he should have been more of a mentor and kept that behind closed doors as opposed to, you know, getting on a soapbox. Like he won't speak to players directly, but then he'll take out an an editorial out in the Los Angeles Times. And I and I I found that to be I, I'm not just not going to go there. I just I said, you, Kareem, everyone's going to take your call. But every one of these players said, yeah, Kareem would walk right by them and not talk to them. He has an aloof way about him. And that's fine. Be aloof. Be introverted. But then don't go do an article about and, and take shots at players. When you have an opportunity to be that voice, they're going to listen to you. If they're going to listen to anybody, they'll listen to you. But it's not as if they didn't answer your calls and they dismissed you and then you decided to take matters into your own hands. No, you didn't even reach out to these players. But yet you go to the same media that looks to demonize and diminish many of these men. And you go to them first. I have a problem with that. And if I saw Kareem in person, if he wanted to ever have a conversation, I would, I would tell him I had a huge problem with that. Because he knew better coming from the era he came from in the 60s, knowing that Bill Russell, what Bill Russell was going through in Boston, knowing what he went through, what the world went through. He, he lived through the assassinations of these men, the MLKs, the Malcolms, the Medgars. He lived through that. And yet you, I won't go there. That's a, that's a story maybe for another day. As a matter of fact, I'll never touch that again because the last thing I want to do is diminish the great Kareem. But I also have, like I said, Excellence and perfection, two different things. Kareem was excellent. He wasn't perfect. LeBron is excellent. He ain't perfect. You understand? So I'm here to celebrate excellence. I want each and every one of us to recognize that excellence, celebrate that excellence, and know that that excellence was talent and time. Putting the time into that talent. You can be as transcendent a talent as you want. But it doesn't matter if you don't put in the time and the effort and, the, and, and use, the, I, use your IQ and your EQ, your IQ and your equity, your time equity, your sweat equity to accomplish what you want to accomplish. That persistence. It's like that old um, Calvin Coolidge quote. Remember that quote? I don't know if you guys have heard it where it says nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Nothing in the world can take place of persistence. 
I have a friend of mine. I think he's a genius. Matter of fact, I know he's a genius. Why do I say that? Well, because, you know, all the things that are going on in our society right now, hybridized this, EV, uh, AI, he was talking this stuff when we were teenagers. And he knew how it was going to happen. So everything we're seeing now, whether it's meta, whether it's social media, whether it's this, he was talking that while we were teenagers. We didn't have a clue what in the hell he was talking. We were like, word, you think so? I said, yeah, man, soon we're all going to be on the computers just talking to each other on computers. We're not even going to talk like this. You see how we're hanging out on a park bench? We were on a park bench in Queens. And he said, yeah, soon we're just going to be talking through our, through our computers and stuff. And at the time, I had a beeper on me, a Motorola beeper, that if I got a beep, I would have to walk to a payphone and put a quarter in there to call the number that was on my pager. This cat is talking about, I'm going to be talking to people on my computer and I'm not even going to want to hang out because we're going to be so comfortable just not seeing each other. He said that to us. He started talking about things like a Facebook or a MySpace 10 years before there was any such thing. He's a toll booth collector right now. Now, he listens, and it's not an insult. He, he's feeding his family. And we talk about this all the time. We joke. So I can say this and he's not going to take offense to it. He's going to listen. He's going to hear this. He's a toll booth collector. If you're pulling into, I'm not going to say which booth, but if you're in New York City and you have to pay a toll to get from this highway or that highway or that bridge or that bridge, he's on one of them, sucking up a bunch of those petrol fumes while we were in high school and he was telling us about all the technologies that were going to happen. He was a futurist. He was able to see things in this linear way and know exactly where we were headed. He was one of the first guys with a home computer. First guys to be like, oh yeah, I gotta get the computer Commodore, this one, that one. First guy, he fixing little computers up in his house as a little hobby. And he had this futuristic way of seeing, knowing what was going to happen around the corner. While everybody else is wondering where society was going to head, he was there already when it came to the, when it came to technology. I'm not going to say with everything else, but technologically, he knew our world was going to look like this. None of this surprises him. The 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 the, the social media depression, the social media anxiety, the cyberbullying. He was saying things like that before there was a term for it 15 years prior if not longer, he's a toll booth collector. He collects tolls. Why? Because he didn't have the persistence. Genius, un, you know, genius will not get you any place. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. It's only persistence. You got to be more Pete Rose. You gotta be that 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 dude, that Johnny, Johnny, that Johnny can do it. You gotta be that guy. You gotta have the talent and then a work ethic of someone who doesn't have the talent. You have to have the talent of someone who has to do use every single ounce of their energy just to make the team. If it's a 15-man roster, you're working your heart out just to become the 15th man. That's how you have to act.
That's how you have to utilize your time and your time equity. Act as if you don't have the talent, but this is something you love and you want to do anyway. So you know that the only way you're going to get in, it's not through your talent, but it's going to be because you worked harder than everybody else to get there. Because, and, and to work hard means time, time, usage of time, and the amount of equity you use during that time. So if it's a minute, if you have an hour to do something, you didn't spend part of that hour swiping through your phone or, or browsing through channels. Or, or, or chatting and texting. That hour was the most productive hour that you could muster. So when you go to the gym, when I see people at the gym and they spend more time swiping on their phone than actual working out, you're not supposed to be taking breaks. If you're off of the machine, stretch and breathe. Remain engaged and get back into your routine. But swiping, and then going to tell everybody you went to the gym. But yeah, guess what? Your hour in the gym and the bodybuilder's hour in the gym, that's two separate hours. But both of you were there. What were you doing with your time? You were there for 60 minutes. But the bodybuilder was there for 60 minutes too. Why is he all sweaty? Why is she all sweaty and drenched? And you left the gym looking like you can go right to a restaurant and have a wonderful dinner. Oh, I see two people working out and they're both joking and laughing and they got the, but you want to lose weight. You want to, you want to have a body that's worthy of getting on the front cover of a fitness magazine. But yet you joking around. You think you have time to waste? You're supposed to spend eight hours sleeping seven to eight hours sleeping and the other 16 hours you have to be productive in other ways you have to earn money you have to do this you have to do that you have to have errands you have to you have to uh, cultivate your personal relationships etc etc you have to cultivate your mind through academic and intellectual pursuits you have to do all these things and then have a social life and some fun this hour in here you ain't got time to be messing around All of this I want people to take into consideration because LeBron's hour in the gym and my hour in the gym, I guarantee you, was starkly different. My hour, I'm BSing a little bit and I'm looking around or maybe I'll take a look at the TV like, oh, what's going on? Oh, we're, I'm looking at highlights. Oh, why that happened? Oh, that's what's going on in the Ukraine. Damn. Oh, okay. No, no, no. That's not his hour because he knows I got to get home to the kids. I got, I got meetings. I have meetings. I, I'm starting another business. I got meetings with my team. I got meetings with another team. I got to do, I don't have time to waste. None of us do. Guess what? None of us have time to waste. All of us have to grow into the roles and grow into our, into our excellence. And the only way for us to grow into our, our most excellent selves is to utilize our time effectively and efficiently, as efficiently as possible. So if I'm going to be in the gym, I got to go to the gym a little later on. I have to do some research on a couple of subjects, but I'm going in there and I'm going in there for 60 minutes. And guess what? My phone isn't on my hip. I, I strap my phone to my, uh, what do you call it? My arm for the music. And I just put it on a playlist that is commercial free. Or I'll put it on a podcast that I know is at least 60 minutes long so I don't have to touch my phone and waste any time looking through things. The phone didn't ring. The phone didn't send for you. But yet you're playing with it. It didn't ring. No one contacted you. What you looking for? 
press play on your favorite podcast, which is probably Whose World Is This with Junior Renee Bobrun, right? Press play on this and go run. Press play on this and go do your full circuit. Press play on this and go get a good sweat. And don't touch your phone again until you're done. Finished. I'm saying that about the gym. I'm saying that about your entrepreneurial pursuits. No one is going to believe in your business more than you. And if you didn't put in the work, no one's going to put in the work for you. I'm in an entrepreneurial mode right now. I, I have to create my deadlines. I have to create my work schedule. My seven, you know, it's easy when a job says, come in at eight, leave at five. Uh, here's your lunch. Here are your breaks. And here is the set of tasks that I would like you to complete this day or this week. Infinitely more difficult if you're doing it on your own. And you're starting something from scratch and you're saying, okay, uh, where do I start? I need help. What am I doing? The entrepreneurs that are successful are master time managers. Successful entrepreneurs are masters of their time. They, they, they don't procrastinate because they can't. They've learned how to create their own schedule. Being your own boss means that you understand the value of a New York minute. Because you know that no one else is there to do the job but you. That's why I look at LeBron James's career as a basketball player and I go, yeah, you're the greatest. You're the greatest. You, you, you're on, a, you're on a, 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 the Mount Rushmore of greatest athletes of all time. And you, quite, and you, as far as I'm concerned, has had the greatest career of all time. People want to say best all-around player, best this, best all-around, best. Greatest I've seen, that's including everyone, excluding no one. It's the greatest 20-year career in a bubble that I've seen. People want to, you know, may want to put Brady in that conversation as well. I get it. Ten Super Bowls, insane. One seven. <laughs> it's, it's insane. But when I look at what's asked of LeBron, and was asked of Brady, yeah. I go, okay, now I got to be a family man. Now I got to do this. Now I got to be this illustrious business person too. And I'm, going do and I'm doing it from team to team to team. I don't have a Hall of Fame coach in a weak division. Respect to Tom Brady, AFC East. Mm, AFC. Mm. Dolphins, Jets, Buffalo. Twice a year. This is not this is not this Buffalo with Josh Allen and, and, and Stefan. We're talking about the other Buffalo. You know, we're not talking about this Miami with Waddle, Tua, and, and Tyreek. We're talking about the other Miami. Futility. You know? Belichick. Wow, defense. Okay. But I'm just saying, as of right now, there's the Ali and the Sugar Ray Robinsons and the Jesse Owenses and the Bill Russells. The Mayweathers and the Serena Williamses and the Tiger Woodses and the MJ and the LeBron. It's a small list of people. Cal Ripkins, the Wayne Gretzkys. It's a small list, maybe Lemuse, of, of men and women who are on this list of greatest ever. And I'm asking each and every one of you and me, what are we going to do to be excellent at what it is that we do? Guess what? It's going to take time. It's all time equity. 
that time that we wasted. We're all, we are our own worst enemy. My mom told me the value of time and I didn't listen. I thought I had more time to do this. I could always get back to that. I can always do that. And that's not how this works. When I was in school and people was like, damn, June, you're really smart. When I'd get an A on a test and I would say to myself, smart to me meant I could sit in a classroom without my notebook open, not take any notes, have my arms crossed and just remember everything. That to me is smart. I'm not that. I have, I'm trying to write down in every single last word that this teacher is saying to me. And then I'm asking a million and one questions. So nothing that was said today is a mystery. Then I, I grew a habit of walking the teachers to their office. Sometimes I could see the look on their face. They were a little bit tired and maybe a little bit annoyed by my presence. Maybe they needed a minute to gather their own thoughts before going to the next class or office. And here you have this student walking with you and then I'd email them and go you know what I'm just reading over the notes and I'm having difficulty with this particular idea that you expressed do you mean a b c d this or do you mean that what was I doing I was utilizing the time I said I didn't and, and the teachers the teachers would say thank you June I appreciate your curiosity this this is what I meant this is what it should be this is what it is and I would go okay that's why even 10 years removed from my uh, undergrad experience, I am still in contact with many a teacher. Why? Because we, I, I initiated robust dialogues because I knew I was only going to have those classes for a certain amount of time before the final came in the midterm. And I didn't want anything to be a mystery to me that I just shrugged my shoulders and moved on from. So what did I do? I utilized the time as much as I can. In the classroom, I wrote as many notes as I could. And I wrote little addendums to my notes and say, ask this question, ask this question, write question marks, exclamation. I had little codes and little shorthand for things I wanted to ask the teacher. And so when the teacher asks before a class starts, let's say the class starts at 8.05, the teacher will say, did anything from last session's notes or last convening, do you have any questions? Guess who raised his hand? Almost every single class, me. The teacher said, I'm going to take this time out now to answer those questions. I would go, yeah, I have questions. And I would have a whole list of questions, two or three of them. And that teacher would answer them. And I've had teachers say to me, I made them a better teacher because they knew I was on my P's and Q's. They knew I was going to have a question. They knew that even certain, let me tell you something about your teachers. And I'm speaking to a lot of students now because I got a lot of friends that are going back to school. And I've just realized that I have a lot more college aged people listening. There's a lot of people that are in school now that listen to me. They found me somehow. I don't remember which I got. I received an email from, I received emails from several college students said that they listen and that they've been sharing. And I'm speaking to them, too. And I'm speaking to any one of you that's and I have professors who listen. So I'm speaking to professors and I'm also speaking to students and college age students, as well as non-traditional students, older people who are going back to take classes. Your teacher doesn't know everything. There are certain things that your teacher teaches that there's certain hmm, dark holes. There's certain holes in some of the logic. And they one of the teachers said they one of the things that they started teaching, they felt 
a bit sheepish about teaching it when I was in the class because they realized how much of a question asker I was and it was a question that they had about a particular uh, a course of action within the curriculum and they always had a problem with it but no one ever brought up a question about it and that person, this teacher said, June will be the one. Guess what? I was. I didn't know that until afterwards. I said, hey, listen, I have a problem with that. I literally raised my hands and said, before we continue, this has to be resolved or it can't be on the test. I sent my teacher an email and said, before we could, this has to be addressed. And after that class was over, I received an A. I earned an A. A year or so later, the teacher said, you know, I knew you were going to, I knew you were going to be the guy to ask that question. I knew you were going to be the guy. He said that it was so poignant what I asked that he took that information to the chair of the department and says that in this ideology, in the, it, it, I mean, in our academic rigor, this is shaky. And one of my better students brought it up to me and said that this has to be resolved one way or another way. That was me utilizing the time. Not just sitting there being anonymous, not just sitting there writing down notes, not just sitting there keeping my questions to myself and just doing what was asked of me or doing what was asked of the final. That was me saying I'm going to squeeze as much as I possibly can out of this hour and 40 minutes in this class. I'm going to know more about this subject than anyone else sitting here right now with me. I want to know as much about this subject as I possibly can. Before this class concludes before the final exam. If I never take this class again or any class similar to it, I'm going to know as much as I possibly can about this subject while I'm taking it. And then I had to be like that for five or six other classes at the same time. Whoa, because I wanted A's in each and every one of them. Uh-oh, guess what that means? My time was of the essence because you got to put in time in the library time in the classroom you have to be what they call locked in hyper focused because it was about being excellent maybe not perfect but being excellent this is important that's what lebron james is he's excellent he should be applauded he should be revered he should be admired and he should evoke nothing but inspiration and adulation from people who have witnessed his journey and on that note i bid each and every one of you a good day and until we speak again